Pastor Amber is speaking tonight. You're going to enjoy that. If you'll walk right through that door, door number one. And go in there. You're going to have a time. If you're here for the book of Revelation, just hang on. If you're watching online, I got those in my mail at home. I brought them to you. So appreciative of you being here this evening. We are down to the book of Revelation chapter 20. My, that went quick, didn't it? My goodness. 20 weeks of preaching and this great Bible, which we're down to 20. We got 21, 22, and then we'll filter over into Daniel and look at the comparative philosophies and the, and the, uh, the prophecies from the Old and New Testament. This is something about the Word of God in the Old Testament. The Old Testament and the New Testament in God's economy, what's the difference in time to Him? So there's not something outdated back then. It's been updated by the fact that we don't go through the sacrifice of animals and the blood of animals, but we have the Lamb of God who supplied the sacrifice of our sins and the answers to every need we have through His precious blood. Aren't you glad for that? Amen? You all going to have to say amen louder tonight. Good. I, my, I'm not hearing good, and that helps me to know you're here. Praise and, and you online, too. Thank you. Oh, that was loud. Those folks are really loud online, folks. I'm telling you, you're going to have to work hard to do that. Chapter 20 in the book of Revelation from the NIV and I'm going to go through these scriptures, 15 scriptures here, and they're very, there's a lot to this in a few words, and I'm going to go into some depth in it. But we're talking now in 18 and 19. 18, we saw the collapse of the Antichrist government. 19, we saw Jesus coming back in judgment and giving retribution to those that were slain during the time of the great tribulation. I want to tell you something. The most heartbreaking thing that I've ever seen, and I've seen maybe heard about it, but was just recently in Israel when the Hamas slaughtered children and women in front of their babies, in front of their mothers, then the mothers, and, and older men and women and younger, younger soldiers beheaded them. It was... It was barbaric. It was satanic. There was no God of any kind in this false idea of Allah. He is nothing. He is a portrayer of a God who's a face of Satan. And for that to be uh, put on us and say that we are is a typical trait of Satan, projection looking at something and saying they are what he is. But when I saw that, I was reminded that this is as, as awful and unexplainable and, and horrible as that is. This is just a glimpse of what's going to happen during the tribulation period with tribulation saints. There's going to be, I don't know, I don't think anyone can even begin to number the people that come to Christ during that great revival and it's all going to be focused around Israel. America's out of the picture. The rest of the world's out of the picture. But Israel's going to be the focal point from that point forward of the tribulation. After the rapture of the church, all these things with this government of the Antichrist, it's forming even now. But there's going to be untold numbers of people. Now, in chapter 20, it refers to as... Those that have been beheaded, even this term. If you look that word up really in the Greek, it means executed. But that is a descriptive term of that execution. We've just seen that. Can you imagine 500,000, a million, that are martyred? And without having any understanding of how many are going to come to Christ, it could exceed that number during that period of time when Israel... The, the great 144,000 witnesses are, are 
telling about the reality of who Jesus is, the two witnesses that testify, and the world's watching it through the technology that we have today, even greater technology, because the entire eyes of the world will be on these things. And these executions are going to be uh, in untold numbers, trying to remove any source or sense of idea of Jesus for the Antichrist, trying to destroy his kingdom. And so it's talking in this chapter about those people and a lot. And it's also talking about in chapter 20 the, uh, the end and the result of the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan himself in this false uh, triune or trinity that's counterfeit, trying to copy God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So in chapter 20... We're talking about now the Satan being put in captivity for a term called the millennium, which means 1,000 years, 1,000. So um, how, how does he get held? And, and let's start with verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding it in his hand, holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now, there's not, this is so explicit as to who this angel is getting. He's, 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 you see he's called the dragon. He's referred to as the dragon. The serpent, the ancient serpent. This is from the Garden of Eden where he beguiled or tricked Eve and Adam, and the devil, he's called the devil, and Satan. So every term that could possibly be used, so we have no question as to who this person is and this individual is. And it said this angel came down the heaven with a key to the abyss, so he unlocks this holding place. This is the bottomless pit that it's described as. He unlocks it. And this is, when I read some of the old Bible commentaries and, and some of these old uh, Bible scholars, I, I'm delighted in the fact that they picked up on this particular scripture. This is an anonymous angel that God chooses. This isn't Gabriel. It's not Michael. It's not Jesus. It's just an angel that he chooses, which tells us something about the the quality or the power and the authority of God's angels and compared to Satan. Just an ordinary angel. Doesn't have to be anything special, but they are special. Amen? I remember when the great song leader and the worshiper from Brownsville, uh, Brownsville uh, Florida, at that great revival, Lyndall Cooley had a heart attack and, and his his what they call the um, that main artery at the bottom of your heart um, that's you can't live a second without it separated from his heart. He should have been dead, and he was on his way to the hospital. And he had a vision, and in the vision he saw an angel of God that was standing there, ready, poised, ready to come. He was telling Pastor Bruce Haynes this, and I was there. They were on the phone when we called to pray for Lindell and. He said, I can't, I'll never get over what I saw because this angel, which is a typical angel, he said the glory of this angel was beyond anything I can imagine. He said the, the brilliance and the glory of this angel, he said it, it radiated the intelligence of God and the, and the authority and the power and the glory and the majesty of God radiated through this incredible being as he was looking, and he knew that that angel in itself had enough power to do and destroy anything God wanted him to do or destroy. And he was overwhelmed by the glory of this vision, a true vision of an angel of God. So even the everyday common angel ain't everyday in common. Amen? They're glorious now, they're not to be worshipped. We know that. They're messengers, warriors. They do things for God. But 
They're incredible. So this angel has the key to the abyss, and he seizes the dragon. That's Satan. We saw that. The ancient serpent, who's the devil or Satan, and bounds and, and bound him for a thousand years. He throws him into the pit. He throws him into the abyss, verse 3, and locked the seal and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until a thousand years were ended. And after that, it was free for a short time. Let's go back through here. We don't want to read fast. Go back to the beginning. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving. Here's what this verse needs to tell us about Satan. That Satan's main power and main uh, use of force is deception. He deceived the nations. This is the only descriptive term of him in this, in this verse that kept him from deceiving the nations anymore for a thousand years. So from the time of the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden until now we're up to this point where Satan is being bound for a thousand years, his main mode, his modus operandi, his MO, is deception. He... he tricks people into believing things, and in doing so, he captivates their soul. Everyone that follows Satan will be a, a, a victim, even by their wanting their own doing, by a victim of deception. But he says, we're going to stop all deception. This is talking about the beginning of the millennial reign of Christ, this thousand years. So what has happened, If you and I've told you many times, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, we get to the, the churches, the, the glory of who Jesus is in the beginning. The seven churches that gives us seven examples of how to and how not in these last days to serve God. And we really need to go over those constantly and read those because it really tells us these are the mistakes these people made. These are the good things that Smyrna and Philadelphia did, the other churches um, were fell, fell short in these areas, even in, in some areas. And then we talked about the glory of the throne of God in four. And in five, his coming and his radiance and glory. In chapter six, when he starts talking about seeing that one sitting on the throne and only one who was uh, uh, appeared to be the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth is the only one worthy to open the book and seal. Boom. From that point forward, the church disappears out of the book of Revelation. Anyone that I follow strongly believes, and I strongly believe with all my heart, in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. means that the rapture, or the catching away, that means this instantaneous disappearance on earth of everyone who truly knows Jesus. Now that's the litmus test. When this voice that only they can hear, the shout, the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, that's not going to be heard by anyone other than the redeemed. It's going to be a silent thing for anyone else, but for the redeemed, we're going to hear this irresistible call of God, and he's going to take the dead in Christ first, and he's going to take those who are alive and remain are going to be caught up, the word rapture, caught up in the air to be with him, Lord, forever. That is the first resurrection. And this is a powerful point in this study that we're going to do tonight. And so we're at, just a second, he, this is chapter, this is verse, what am I at, three? Three. Go to four. And I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been, uh, had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. That word actually means executed, but beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. These are those that were killed, martyred during this tribulation period, which is seven years 
of unbelievable, indescribable situations. The first three and a half is going to be mounting the government of the Antichrist into power with all of the help. He's going to have ten kings that are going to empower him, ten kingdoms around the world that's going to come and support him. There's going to be a harlot church called the Great Whore, and that's the ecumenical group And it's not just the Pope or the Catholic Church. This is a combination of any kind of religions in the world that have come together and held hands and said, we're going to support this is our great leader. And they're deceived, believing that the Antichrist is actually a Messiah type and has power that's going to take over the world and they're going to stamp out anything that stops it. All of this is going to come together in the first three and a half years Right on the day, the second of, and I'll tell you how precise it is, the second of the middle of the day of the three and a half year period, he will stand and do something that we know as the abomination that leads to desolation. He's going to say that he's God. And then he will no longer need or want this ecumenical group or the great whore, he will, they will betray all these religious leaders around the world and say, you're all coming together with all your different religions to say we're coming in unity and love together and we're going to all support you, all the religions of the world. And he's going to say to them, uh, in no uncertain terms, I don't want any other religions but me, and he's going to betray and he's going to destroy that ecumenical group and establish himself as God. That's when we'll see the fullness of this false trinity, the father being Satan, the dragon, the son being the Antichrist, and the false prophet being their representative, representing the Holy Spirit. At the, and if you go back in the teachings that I've taught you, within two hours after that proclamation, in the city of Jerusalem, there will be a, a devastating earthquake that will kill 70,000 people. I mean, it's spelled out in Revelation very clear. And, and all of these horrible things that have been happening in the three and a half years are going to be elevated into a place that we've never even imagined that would happen. Now, I say that to tell all this to you, but in chapter 7, there's something, I think it's chapter 7, verse 10, there's a scripture that puts a little question as to all of these things, how they happen, because it tells us to the minute when these are going to happen. But God never allows all of his secrets to be told because he knows us. Now, I'll say that and say this. If God told us absolutely every point by the moment that was going to happen, we would speculate, we would try to do something with that knowledge that he doesn't want to, so he leaves gaps and places in that. And in this one area, he talks about the seven thunders. He tells John... John was getting ready to go ahead, and and he's talked about the vials and the trumpets and the pouring. And then he goes, and then the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, wait, hold it. Don't say this. I'm forbidding you to say this. It's seven thunders. That means there are seven absolute separate things that are going to take place that no one, and if anyone tries to tell you they know what that means, they're full of that Greek word. Well, it's a Latin word I use, and anyone know how to say the word? Baloney, that's it right there. They're full of baloney. That's, no one knows. We can't even speculate what the seven thunders are. There's no way to know. But when we get through that point and we move on into his word and we move on into the scripture, we're getting down now to the end of the millennial period. And that's where we got with 18. That's where we're at 19 and here with 20. And it talks about the beginning, I mean, I'm sorry, the end of the tribulation period. That's where we're at. And we're beginning the millennial reign of Christ on this earth and what it's going to mean. In order for that to happen, Satan's going to have to be put in check. Now, it's, um, it's an applied consent. It's an applied thought. By, and it makes, spiritually, it makes sense to me that when Satan is cast into the abyss, all of his demons are with him because there's 
No deception left on the world. His, he's totally removed. It doesn't say that. It says he will be. But it's applied that all of the power that he has, there's not going to be, any demonic power isn't going to be left on this earth. This is going to be an environment that's free of deception and free of the evil influence of Satan. He's cast away for a thousand years. Am I at four? And I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast. This indicates who these are. And it tells us these are those that were killed in the millennial period. And we can read it right here. They had not worshipped the beast or his image or had received his mark on their forehead or their hand. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And look at this. The rest of the dead did not come until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. So it's, it's a little bit tricky what this means. But if you understand, the first resurrection was the rapture of the church. Now we're looking at the second resurrection at the end of the millennial period. And these are they who were killed or died during the tribulation period. And they're resurrected. And so here's this. Now, it's also talking about those that were resurrected that were not saved. And this is the, the two resurrections are, it's not confusing if you just think about this. The first resurrection are the redeemed. The second resurrection are those that are resurrected from the dead that are not saved. They're not redeemed. They're going to be res they're going see we live eternally i don't care i don't care who you are when you were born and you when you were conceived in your mother's womb you became an eternal being amen and that eternal being is going to come to fruition at at these times when god brings us all together and it's leading up to two things it's leading to this thousand year reign and it's also leading up to the judgment of god in this chapter They had not worshipped these or these that had not worshipped the beast and had not received his mark on their forehead, their hand, and they became to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. So this is the beginning of the millennium. At the end of the millennium, here's the, this second resurrection that is uh, the resurrection of those that are not saved. Blessed and holy are those who have part of the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. That's you and I and these saints during this time. They're not going to be affected by the second death. That's what this is trying to say. The second death is eternal separation from God. We die, and when I say die, we pass from this world and I always say we step over the threshold of death the second death into life again when you're a child of God these come back to life to be judged but they don't, they don't escape the second death blessed are those who escape that second death that aren't found in it and that's you if you're redeemed say amen I'm telling you, when Jesus takes you, either by natural death or by the rapture of the church, when you're a child of God, there's a little phrase I want you to remember. Will you remember this? You got it made. You got it made. When I first started studying Revelation, I I, this book worried me. Oh, God. Can I stand it, you know, and can I do? And, 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 and the Lord has taught me over the years of studying that I may die before the rapture. I've got family that have. I'm one of the few left. I mean, we can go before the rapture. He's also assured me that if he takes me in the rapture, in any case, I've got it made. Now listen to me. That's it. 
It says you'll be with the Lord forever. That is an emphatic term that means forever. Try to comprehend forever. But you got it made. You got it made. If you die tomorrow, if the rapture of the church takes place, whenever you leave this body as a child of God, you avoid the second death, which is eternal separation from God, and you're moved into eternal life. And all these events that are happening on the earth, this thousand-year millennial reign, all of these things don't have any bearing on your salvation. You've got it made. Isn't that good to know? What a relief to know that. Verse 6 says this, Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. This is what I'm talking about. The second death has no power over them. That's the death that leads to eternal separation from God. When you know Jesus, death, eternal death has no power over you. That's according to the Word of God. That ought to give you a real big breath of, amen, has no power over them. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So you've got this combination of martyrs during the time of the tribulation and those who were raptured that are coming together, and they're going to reign on this earth for 10 centuries. Now, we look at this millennial period, and we just think, man, it's just, it's, it's just a thousand years. <laughs> Do you know what a thousand years means? We're, this is 2023. How about in the 13th B.C. or A.D.? The 13th century A.D. That was pretty primitive, wasn't it? 13th. That was before the 14th. That was, this is before uh, Luther. This was before Calvin. This is the thir- kind of a dark period in time. 13th B- A.D. After the death of Christ. 13 centuries. And it's just a void of just emptiness on this earth. And from that point to now is a thousand years. That's a long time. That's what I'm trying to say. A thousand years is a long time. Ten centuries. Ten centuries of people coming together that are alive, that, that live through the tribulation, that trusted God. Ten centuries for those of us who have been miraculously raptured and we have our uh, heavenly uh, bodies now, and the time to us will be a, a whole lot different than the time to those folks. But 10 centuries of babies being born, people being grown, the earth being replenished, 10 centuries of the absence of deception, 10 centuries of the absence of sin. The government of Jesus Christ will be the government on this earth, the city of Israel is going to be the capital. And all the world is going to live in a sinless environment for 10 centuries. What an incredible thing. And then it says this in verse 7. And when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. The second he gets out of jail... He takes his old personality right back. A thousand years. He's, he's, he's cha- Actually, when you read this in the Greek or the Aramaic, he's chained and in prison. I don't know what God's going to chain him with. And believe it or not, as silly as it sounds, there's a lot of theologians that really get a lot of interest into finding out how God chains him up. Who cares? I believe his chains will hold him. Amen. He's chained and imprisoned. His influence is chained and imprisoned. His deception is chained and imprisoned and separated in the abyss, this bottomless pit. He has no ability nor any influence on this earth for a thousand years of cleansing, a thousand years of peace, a thousand years of mega Mayberry. Absent Barney Fife. 
Oh, I think there'll be some Barney Fives. He's my favorite. A thousand years. And when the thousand years is over, Satan was released from his prison. Verse 7 and 8. And we'll go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. Here he goes, right back to where he was. Deception. Satan will go out in the earth after there was ten centuries of purity, of holiness. Ten centuries of the nations of the world getting along together. Will there be conflicts? Yes. But they're going to be settled righteously, and the government will be headquartered in the kingdom city, Jerusalem, and which will be, I'll talk about that in a little bit here, but that, that, that uh, deciding of conflict will be done in a righteous way, and it'll be deployed, and there's no wars. No wars. We can't even go 25 years without war. We can't go 10 minutes someplace on the face of this earth. I forget how many conflicts there are going right now. Well, we know about Israel. But I forget how many other conflicts are going on in the earth at any given moment. We are a globe that is, if they were little lights, there are lights all over the earth of armed conflicts and wars going on right now. No wars for 10 centuries. And then verse 8 says this. Verse 8 says, He'll be released out of his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog to gather them to bat for battle in number. They are like the sands of the seashore. So in that small space of time, we're talking about a matter of a few short years, and there's so much thought by theologians about how long. Really, there's a lot of thought that it'll be about three and a half years. In a short span of time, Satan is so convincing that he's going to deceive people on this earth that for, ten, for a thousand years, for ten centuries, think of the multiplications of people, how the populations, he's going to deceive enough people that it's going to look, look like the sands of the seashore. It's going to be incredible numbers that he's able to trick into trusting him. And it says that Gog and Magog together for battle in number, they are like the sand on the seashore. Gog and Magog, if you go back to Ezekiel chapter 36, 7 and 8, right through there, talks about Gog and Magog. In, in that particular time, Gog is an individual, Magog is a, is a land. But in this particular time, it's talking about the enemies of God around the earth that come together in battle against the kingdom of Jesus, Gog and Magog. These two different groups. I've heard people try to say, well, they're Russia and China. I don't know. I don't think anyone knows for sure, except we do know that they are the enemies of God. After a thousand years of peace, after a thousand years of a holy environment, after a thousand years of righteous judges and righteousness, and Satan has let come out and... <clears throat> Here we are, we're already coming back to a point of trying to follow something that's not true, and the numbers are remarkable, how many. I've got some things I want to show you here. Why, and maybe you didn't have this question, I've had it, why didn't God, after the rapture of the church that's going to take place, why didn't he just call it quits right there and we just all go to heaven? What's the purpose of a, a millennial period? I mean, why? But there's purpose in the millennial period. I'm going to read to you a few that I have. During the millennial period, Israel be, one, Israel will be the superpower of the world, leading the nations of all the earth. Number one, he's going to establish Israel after all they've been through. There's a purpose for the millennial period. There's one. If you believe that, say amen. amen. 
Let me continue on. I have several that I've written down here. The second one is during the millennial period, the citizens of earth will acknowledge and submit to the lordship of Jesus. It will be a time of perfectly administrated enforced righteousness on this earth. It's going to be a time when the entire earth in unity bows to the lordship of Jesus. And that's an important part. The third thing is during the millennial period, there will be no more war. I mentioned that. No war. What a thought. Can you imagine? Is there anybody in this room that's been in armed conflict before? Anybody in this room? Wars? Been in, in military during the time of wars? I'm telling you, it's just, yeah. It, it, Troy, I mean, it, it's just something that we hear all the time. It becomes too common. There'll be no more wars. There'll be conflicts, but they'll be worked out with God. During the millennial period, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 55 and Jeremiah 30 and Ezekiel 34 and Ezekiel 37, Hosea chapter 3, that David will be reestablished at a prominent, as a prominent place. Now, he's going to be part of this rapture as a prominent place of leadership on this earth. The kingship of David is going to come back. He said it was an eternal kingship, and I'm looking to meet the king in his place there. Amen? So there's purpose in this. During the millennial period, it would be a time of purity and devotion to God and God alone, Ezekiel chapter 13. During the millennial period, there'll be, uh, uh, they will rebuild the temple and, and restore the temple service as a memorial to God. We're not going to go back to Old Testament times, but the temple's going to be rebuilt as a memorial to God himself for what he's done. These are reasons for, that, for these things to take place. During this millennial period, it's important that we remember the reason and important because it will demonstrate Jesus' victory and worthiness to rule all the nations. The millennial period is important because it will reveal the depth, and listen to this one. This thousand years will reveal the depth of man's rebellious nature in a perfect environment. Think about that. A thousand years of a perfect environment. Satan's released and the nature of man comes out again. I know a lot of people say that we're basically good and down deep we really want what's good and we want to follow truth and we're only bad because of our environment. But the millennial period is going to reveal that the very heart of carnality is enmity or it's against God. And that nature is going to come out. I mean, we're going to be eternal. But the people born there, I, I can't imagine how they can be deceived after all that time in a God environment. But it will be a number greater than we can imagine. The millennial area is going to be important because it's going to display the eternal depravity of Satan the second he gets out of his abyss. The very second he starts in his rebellion toward God. And that millennial period is going to be important because it's going to show the invulnerability of the city of God and how Jerusalem no longer is going to be under attack by any nation because they're going to come together. And so there's purpose in all of these things that God planned in. When I asked him why, he began to show me some things that gave me the understanding. During that thousand years, we're going to be reigning with the elders. We're going to be reigning with the people on this earth. As a, a nation, as a kingdom of God, for those that live here, those that are born as they grow, God's going to use every one of you in some kind of a position as uh, leadership on this nation. And, and it's going to be a great opportunity for all, so he has a place for us. <clears throat> what verse am I on? 
Verse 9 says, Gog and Magog in 8. Verse 9, they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. Now, I'm going to stop there and reading it. Because this is called the last great battle. But when you study this theologically, it's no battle at all. It's known. It says that they're going to march across the breadth of the earth and, and surround the camp of God's people, the city he loves. It looks like Jerusalem's being surrounded again. Now, right now, we're living in a day where Jerusalem's being surrounded. The Bible talks about this in prophecy to be ready and pay attention when you see the unwalled city surrounded. There's a city inside Jerusalem that has a wall around it. Have you ever been in Jerusalem? Old Jerusalem. Then there's a city outside which is unwalled. And that's the city right now that Lebanon and Iran and, and some of these nations are coming and, and accusing and, and making threats toward Israel. And when I saw that... And I began to realize the scripture. I thought, God, could this be the beginning? Is this the time where these are surrounding this first time, surrounding the nation and the city of Jerusalem and coming down on them? And you know, one of the, <clears throat> one of the prophecies, I believe in Ezekiel, says that they'll come down like the clouds out of the sky. And if you see the picture of the Hamas coming in those paragliders, it's a frightening picture. The whole sky is full of black parachutes coming down on the unwalled city. And, you, and I'm seeing things that are taking place. The only caveat that I have in, here in this whole thing is those seven thunders. Because if it wasn't for that, I'd be jumping right up and saying, next week Jesus is coming. And he knows that. And he's not going to let that happen. There's something that's going to take place that's going to catch us all off guard instantly, but we're going to go back to Scripture. And if we, and the rapture hadn't, I believe the rapture um, has taken place when these seven thunders take place, believe me, we'll be gone. But during that time, those seven thunders are, are something going to take place that no one counted on, and we haven't talked about because John was forbidden to tell us. But here's that time. Here's. That situation where they marched, they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And this is the incredible thing. Jesus comes with his saints. And they're all of Magog and Gog. This is the armies, in, in, in using those two terms, that come against the enemies of God. They surround in overwhelming numbers the saints of God come and Jesus comes and he by himself destroys them. So the battle ain't a battle. This is the last battle as there would be. There's no battle. It's uh, bringing the knife to a gunfight. And that's what Satan always does with Jesus. And the devil... Verse 10, who deceived them was thrown to the lake of, sulfur, of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. Now this is where Satan is thrown into the lake of fire. Beast and the false prophet were last chapter, if you'll remember. And Satan was put in the abyss and his influence, and now he was released for a small time. He influenced the earth, and the earth that followed him came against Jerusalem, which is the capital of the universe and the head of all of the, of the government of Jesus Christ. And Jesus defends them with an overwhelming battle. And that, if you want to call it a battle, it's one-sided fight, and they're destroyed. And Satan is taken then, after the end of all this, he's thrown into the lake of fire along with death and hell and with the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all who didn't follow Jesus forever. Now, when you look at this term that talks about ever, it's, it's hard for me to understand. I cannot comprehend forever because we were born with starts and beginnings and endings. Now, I want to tell you something the Lord showed me many years ago. And I can try to describe it. It's better if I have a chalkboard. But I don't. 
So I'm going to try to explain who you are and what your life is like. If you look at the vastness of eternity, and I had a great big board here that was just completely blank. That's the vastness of eternity. There are no boundaries to eternity. And in that in that eternity, you, if, if I put a line through the middle, took a piece of chalk and took a line and drew through the middle and then made a circle and then took the line and kept on going, I can show you what your life is. You were here in eternity before Jeremiah chapter 1 says, before you were born, God knew you. Before you were knitted in your mother's womb, God knew you. Amen? That bubble is Time. And when you're born, you, you enter time. Now, some babies live a day, a minute, an hour. Pastor Benai has a little sister in heaven named Bethany. Bethany lived a week. I remember when Pastor Tim was staying with us and Betty, she was in the hospital and Bethany was born. <clears throat> they called me up and went to the hospital and they took Bethany out of a little incubator and Pastor Tim and Betty held their little girl, firstborn, and she passed into heaven while she was hold, being held. I remember her two grandfathers, Earl Bradford and Johnny Snyder, in January in cold weather digging. They wouldn't let him out. They dug her grave with their bare hands and shovels because they were a grandfather. Right? I can take you to the cemetery. We took that little casket and we put it down in the ground and we buried, we planted that seed of Bethany Snyder. And from that point, when she pierced that bubble, her time wasn't very long. The opposite of that is my dear mother-in-law. She came into this earth for 100, almost 102 years. She lived on this earth, but she she went out the other side of the bubble just like Bethany did. See, your times are in God's hands. I don't know how long you're going to live. You don't know how long I'm going to live. But we come into this eternity where there's no time, and we have a beginning, and we have an end. You get it? That's what time is. Time has beginnings and ends. When we serve Jesus Christ, we come into this bubble, and we're given the choice to serve, to honor, to accept Christ or not. Now, all of you deep theologians goes, well, what about the pygmies in the Congo? What about the Chinese that have never heard the name of Jesus Christ? Well, I went to God with that same little deal and marched into his presence. And I said, how can you forget those people? How can someone that's never had the opportunity I have go to hell and he said, well, there's a scripture that says, to whom little is given, little is required. And he said, the thief on the cross had a two-minute conversation with me and went to heaven. So he had a conversation. What about these people? And this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said to me the same voice that he said to Job. In chapter 39 of the book of Job, when he set him down, he says, where were you when I created the Leviathan? Where were you when I put the seas and the span and the earth together? Where were you when I put gravity to hold the, the mountains still and the clouds? Where were you when I created the cosmos? And you're questioning me? And then he said to this, how do you know I don't speak to everyone? The, um, the glory of God, the omniscience. Do you know what the Bible says about Jezebel? Jezebel was a wicked, Sidonian, Philistine worshiper of Baal. And the Word of God says that even I gave Jezebel a space of repentance. You see, I believe God's greater than we think he is. I think he's greater in mass. I think he's greater than our understanding. I'm not even going out on a theological limb by saying God is great enough to have a conversation with every human being. And what little he gives, what little choice, if little's required, 
That's all it takes. I don't know. But I know God loves us all. Amen? Amen. And how he set it up, I think we're going to be so shocked to see who is and who isn't. Who's there and who's not. But I know God's love is eternal. And it is constant and it's for any and everyone. Everywhere. Am I at 10? And the devil who deceived them was thrown to the lake of sulfur, burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. That emphatic term in Hebrew, ever and ever, means you can say it forever and ever. It's, it's no change, ever. <clears throat> when I saw, then I saw, verse 11, the great white throne, and whom he seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place to hide. This is the judgment of the lost. The, you see, this is why they're going to be resurrected, for judgment. The great white throne judgment, the great white throne stands for purity and righteousness of God. So God's not judging them out of anger. He's not judging them out of, you weren't on my side, so I'll teach you. Judge, the judgment of God is a righteous judgment based on their choosing. And they're going to stand before God, and this great white throne judgment is, has been designed by God, for God, for the lost, and it's going to be the last, it's going to be the last, um, Understanding that they have that God is God and they've chosen another way to go. So everyone at the great white throne judgment is going to be judged and then taken to hell along with Satan and the false prophet and the Antichrist and all the spirits of the earth. The fact that the earth and the heavens fled away meant there's no place to hide. There's nothing you can hide. They're going to stand before God without any defense or excuses. <clears throat> Isn't it funny how we, I hope not you, but isn't it funny how we sometimes take on the character traits of God and sometimes Satan? And let me tell you what I mean by that. Satan is a deceiver. Amen? How many people do you know, I hope you don't know them by face or name, but how many people do you believe on this earth right now that's trying to deceive God into believing they really love him? I mean, the way they live. They justify their lifestyle. They justify their thoughts. They justify their morals. Well, I don't think... God, well, you don't think. You're saying that God's word is different than what you think, but how many people today take on that character trait to think they're going to stand before God with sin in their life and trick their way into heaven? He said everything fled away, and there's not going to be any. All, listen, the earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them to hide. That was it. There's nothing in your life or my life that's going to hide from the judgment of God. No. The only thing that hides anything from God doesn't hide it. It's the blood of Jesus that removes it and cleanses us and makes us pure before him. So here is this last judgment and this lake of fire and, and this time of the great white throne, the him who sat on the earth, earth and sky fed from his presence, and there was no place for the him. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged, and this is the judgment of God. This is called the Bema judgment of God. Now I'll tell you something about this one. It's interesting. 
This is the beam of judgment of God. The great white throne is for the lost. The beam of judgment or the judgment seat of God is for you and I. And you say, judge? I thought we were going to heaven. You are. Well, what's he going to do? Are we going to be punished for something? No. It's an incredible judgment. And here's what's going to happen. Everything you've done, now I want you to listen. If you don't listen to anything else I'm telling you, as I'm, t- I'm speaking to me five times more than I'm speaking to you. Everything you do in service God is your motives, and your motives are going to be judged. Why? Why? You see, during that thousand-year millennial reign, there are going to be people that say, because the wor- world's going to be without sin, and they're going to say outwardly that they support God, but when a little bit of temptation comes, all of those don't have their motives internally are going to cause them to turn on God and be deceived, and they're going to be the Gog and Magog, the enemies that come. When we stand before God as Christians, we're going to stand before him with all these things that we've done. He's going to look at everything. Well, I never led a Sunday school class or sang a song. or pre- It's not that. It's your everyday walk with Jesus. Everyday walk with Christ. And all those things are going to, and many people are going to walk in there with a stack of papers. Look what I've done. When we had our pastor's appreciation, I was very involved in the community over the years. And Max had, he said, I have three pages here about Pastor Sam. I'm going to tell you something. Not one of those things are going to matter to God. Nothing. Worthless. Absolutely worthless. He's going to judge us at the beam of judgment of God. And here's what's going to happen there. It's a good thing, but it's a heartfelt thing too. Every motive... That Christians, now these people that are saved going to heaven, but every motive that you and I have that wasn't righteous in its nature is going to be burned away. And the only thing that's going to be left was what was pure we did before God. And there's people that are going to stand before God and they're going to come walking in there with all their medals and papers and plaques and titles and everything that is all going to be burned away. And they're going to end up with a handful to hand to God. And it doesn't have to be that way. If your motives are righteous and your motives are focused on loving Jesus, none of that's going to be burned away. And you're going to walk in there and hand him what he says has value. Loving, trusting him, obeying him. You don't have to lead anything. You don't have to be on a board. You don't have to have an education. This is between you and Jesus. Your motives Why do you serve him? What do you do every day? All of that is going to stand. And this is when the Bible says that the last will be first and the first will be last. This is a time where people that you never thought really had much to, well, you know, they just came to church and lived a good life. And they're going to be at the front of the line holding all these things that God says is valuable. And some of the big Look what I've done, folks, are going to be back here, and it's all going to be burnt up. It's going to be a pile of ashes. When I was a boy, I played the bass guitar in this quartet that sang. The Kinsmen. Oh, they backed up all. It was really fun. One of the songs they sang is this. Must I go and empty-handed stand before the throne of God? Not one thing for me to offer him. Must I go and stand empty-handed? You see, the beam of judgment of God burns out all of the stuff that the motives were wrong. Now, I got to go to heaven like this? No. Here's how good Jesus is. He gets rid of all of the false motives and the baloney and washes them and burns them all away. And even if I started out with this and I end up with this, or if I started out with what I thought was this and ended up with it. But when I go, when that beam of judgment's over, all the things that were motivated wrong is gone, and I'm free from them. 
I'm going to heaven. We're all going to heaven there. And all the things I did that I thought had value may still be there or may not be there according to what he knows has significance. But I'm going to be free and I'm not going to go to heaven with any pretense. Nobody's going to go to heaven and go, oh, look, there's, oh, he did, she did. That's all going to be gone. We're all going to be standing on flat ground, redeemed, sinners saved by grace. And there's going to be one who's going to be standing holy and high above us all. And his name is Yeshua Messiah, Jesus. All of the motives are going to be burned away. And the pureness, I'm telling you, whatever you do, make sure your motive is to serve God and to love Jesus. That will last. If it's to be seen or heard or pumped up, or it's going to be burned up. Does that make sense to you? What's important at the beam of judgment of God? Another book was opened. This is the book of life, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to that which they had done had done as recorded in this book. And the sea gave up its dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead, and they were all in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. The death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. This is what we're talking about earlier. And anyone whose name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Chapter 20 is telling us this is the last echoes of sin. All going to be gone, washed away. Even our motives as children of God that we kind of, have you ever, have you ever thought of yourself as kind of a little special once in a while when you do something? Boy, I have. In fact, I've been sickening. Boy, look at me. I've been repenting. I said, God, please forgive me that stupidity. That won't last. But when I do something the Bible says is right and righteous, I can just, I don't say, look what I did. I just know that it was right before God, and he keeps record for me. <clears throat> How do you do that? Oh, Jesus gave so many examples to his disciples. Peter said, if somebody takes your coat, what do you do? He said, give them your, out, your, give them your jacket. He said, take your jacket. He said, give them your coat. What if they smack you in the face? He said, forgive them. What if they smack you seven times? He said, I don't care if they smack you 70 times, seven, like too many times for you to be recorded in a day. Forgive them. Well, that's weak according to some religious standards. Is it forgiveness? Do you think you can ever extend enough forgiveness compared to what Jesus did for you? How many knows in here that at one time and maybe even today you've been a stinker? Anybody? If your hand didn't up, it's because you had surgery recently. Now, Jana, she's never, I don't know that. She's, you leave her alone. I love picking on you. Of course we have. All of us have been. Every one of us have been. But his mercy, his grace, he washes it, he cleanses it, he redeems us, he sent, brings us up into his presence. And then we come to that last thing where every echo of sin is, whew, every motive is cleansed. And when we, go, when we stand before God, we are so clean. We might have not as much as we had to start with. Our more depends on our motives. But we can if our motives are righteous and loving. But the thing is, we're going to be in his presence. And there's not going to be a fiber, a thought, even an echo of sin. He's washed it all away at the end of this millennial reign. The sad thing is for those who chose not to. Those that mock God today. I'm not mad. I used to really get mad when I hear these people mocking Jesus on television and making fun. I am mad at those that persecute righteous people and kill the innocent. I am. 
I'm mad at abortionists that try to tell us that that's a mass and not a baby. I'm mad at them, but they're making their choices. But the thing is, for myself, I've got to make choices that are righteous, that will be accepted by God. Amen? Amen? That's what I want for you and I. Because we're going to be taken out of here. And when we do, this tribulation period is going to go. At the end of that tribulation, this thousand-year reign is going to go. We're going to come back in eternal state. And we're going to be used by God during that thousand years. At the end of it, Satan's going to bring the big bluff. And it's just going to be God. There's no equality between God and Satan. Jesus himself is going to destroy him, put him for eternity with death and hell in the lake of fire. Everyone, he's going to wad it up on a ball and throw it at the speed of light times light into the darkness of eternity, further and further and further away from the presence of God. And we are going to be in his presence, redeemed and glorious, free. No facades, no wrong motives. That's what's going to really make it neat. Did you understand any of this tonight? Okay, stand to your feet with me. Next week, chapter 21.